to another episode of SDBC Podcast. Thanks for joining us. And today's episode, we're going to be dealing with the topic of miracles in the Bible. Now, many of us kind of struggle uh, when it comes to miracles, when we're reading the Bible and we come across a miracle like the splitting of the Red Sea or Peter walking on water or Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. These things kind of sound crazy, especially in today's scientific age. We, We find it hard and difficult to learn what do we do with these miracles? Do we believe in them? Do we just treat them as allegories? Like, how do we proceed in reading the Bible? Now, this is a question that many people have to process, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, because I know for many people, this has become a a topic that is a stumbling block for them to really take the Bible seriously. So we wanted to do a proper podcast episode on it. But the reason that we actually thought about this as a topic was because I was preaching through the book of Jonah last Sunday, and I was preaching uh, on Jonah chapter one, verse 17. Let me just read you the verse. It says, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, this is a very short verse, but believe it or not, I was able to um, to preach like a 40-minute sermon or a 44-minute sermon on just this verse. Um, We had a lot of fun unpacking the depth of all of this and how it ties to Matthew chapter 12 and what Jesus says and all that stuff. But because I didn't have enough time to cover is, uh, is believing in this miracle that Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, is that even a feasible thing for us to believe in? Or is this comical? Is this something that's not even credible for us to believe in? So I, w- I didn't have enough time during the sermon to handle the topic. So I told our church family that I would do it in a podcast. So here I am uh, keeping the promise that I made to our church family. And I'm going to do it in this podcast, podcast episode. Hopefully you guys find this helpful. Now, there are many reasons I think why people like uh, me uh, and Christians could find an episode like this helpful. If you are a Christian and, and if you don't believe in miracles, if you have a hard time believing in miracles, you might feel a little bit embarrassed or ashamed of yourself when you go to church because it's, it looks like everyone who goes to church believes in these miracles and they don't struggle with them. So I want to help you process that. First of all, I know many Christians who struggle to believe in the miracles of the Bible. Okay, so you're probably not alone if you're thinking that way. You know, Peter walking on water, God appointing a great fish to transport Jonah from the eye of the storm to the shore. I mean, how do you believe in this kind of a stuff? But then my question to you as a Christian is, well, if you struggle to believe in Peter walking on water or water turning into wine, or if you can't believe that Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights and transported to shore safely then how do you believe in the resurrection? Now, that's a question that I think all Christians have to process. Because if you can't believe in the Red Sea splitting, if you can't believe in supernatural interventions of God, then how are we to believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and that the resurrection is a, is a feasible thing? Not only that, but if Jesus promised, which he did, he promised that we too would experience resurrection, that death would not bind us, that even if we die here on earth, that we would be able to have resurrection bodies. It's not like that we're going to be floating around in our spirits and our souls. It's actually going to be that we are going to receive resurrection bodies. So in the at the fundamental level of Christianity, you, you kind of have to believe that Jesus resurrected from the dead and that he promised us that we too would be resurrected one day. This means 
I guess fundamentally, we kind of need to believe in at least one miracle. And here's my suggestion to you. If you can believe that Jesus rose from the dead, uh, is it not also feasible that Jesus could help Peter walk on water or that he could turn water into wine or that God could split the seas, that God could do supernatural things because he owns all creation and that he has proven it in the resurrection of Christ. So if you're a Christ believer who believes in the resurrection of Jesus, but you struggle with some of these other stuff that happens in the Bible, I just want to point you to the fact that if you believe in the resurrection, that is the ultimate miracle. In fact, in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus would say that that's the ultimate sign. This generation, this adulterous generation keeps asking for a sign, all these miracles to show that Jesus is the real deal, that he's the Messiah, but he's going to show you only one more, only one more sign. And that sign was the sign of the prophet Jonah. And that was, of course, alluding to the fact that Jesus was going to be in the heart of the earth, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days, three nights, Jesus would be in the grave, in the tomb for three days. And on the third day, he would be raised to life. And that miracle, that supernatural intervention by God, that resurrection would be the final sign. And that is kind of what Jesus leaves with us. So I think if you're a Christian who believes in the resurrection, it logically follows that we would be able to accept other miracles in the Bible as well. If you don't believe in miracles, though, then this is how we are led to treat the Bible. If not, I guess not believing in miracles causes us to practice allegorical interpretations of the Bible every time we come across a miracle. And this is what I mean. In extreme cases, I guess this would lead you to treat the Bible as a good moral textbook. It's great for ethical teaching. It's like a textbook for your children. You know, when you read those uh, children's stories, um, to your kids or something like that, then the stories themselves aren't real, like Little Red Riding Hood, Cinderella, Snow White. Like, you know, there's morals, there's teachings embedded into these stories. And the important thing is that you get the lessons out of the stories, the morals, not really the stories themselves, right? So if you actually start to believe that these miracles aren't possible, the Bible isn't really for real, all these events didn't actually happen. What it is, is that it's teaching you the lessons of life, the ethics of life, the moral teachings. So if, if that's what the Bible's all about, then you start to treat this as a good moral textbook. You're trying, to, um, you're trying to draw out of the Bible ethical teachings, how to live your life in the, in the most fullest and most abundant way. But then none of it is actually real. So the Bible doesn't actually rule and govern your life as God kind of commands in the Bible. It just ends up being a good children's story. It helps you to learn how to be a good person. And sadly, this is how many people in, in our spheres, even Christians, have started to treat the Bible. And I think one of the big stumbling blocks, again, is the fact that there are so many miracles. And people have bought into this thought that, hey, you can't believe in miracles. You, you got to be kind of crazy or silly to believe in these miracles because we, we live in an age of science now. You know, you know, those things like people walking in water, that's not possible. We know about gravity. That's probably not real. You know, the Red Sea splitting so that a, a whole lot of people, some scholars say a million people cross the Red Sea, you know, escaping from the Egyptians, the Israelites. Now, now that's not believable. Jesus feeding the 5,000 people and many scholars saying maybe even 10,000 or 20,000 people with just a boy's lunch. 
of two fish and five loaves of bread like that, that doesn't sound realistic. So it's easy for you to get into this thought that, okay, these miracles must not be true, but I still love the Bible. I still love Christianity. I still love church. So maybe I just could ignore the miracles and then I'll be okay. And you know, for a little while you might get by because you're right. The Bible isn't you know, on every single page, it's not about supernatural things. There's lots of other things in the Bible as well. Lots of things about practical things like how we deal with money and how we teach our children, how we relate to each other in marriage or community or with God. You know, there's a lot of things in the Bible that's not related to supernatural things. So I guess you could, you could be tempted to think, let's just skip over the miraculous parts and get to the ones where it says, hey, here's how a husband and a wife should relate to each other. Here's how you should overcome quarrels and conflicts. But then... If you do believe that, then you become trapped in this idea that the Bible is simply a book of moral teaching. And that's not what the Bible is. Actually, if that was what the Bible was, then it would actually be a hoax and it would actually be hopeless in all of its promises. The very fact that the Bible is relevant and hopeful and is good news is tied to the fact that Jesus resurrected from the grave. It's tied to the fact that God has given us an opportunity for eternal life. So I encourage you, if you are a Christ follower, maybe you should explore that a little bit, a little bit more deeply, the possibility of a miracle. And I hope the rest of this podcast will help you process that too. But on the other hand, you might believe in miracles. You might actually be listening to this podcast thinking, you know what, Paul, I'm not like that at all. I actually do believe in miracles. But then you might still think it's kind of crazy to believe in them. So you hide the fact that you believe in miracles when you're out with your colleagues or when you're out with your friends. So, you know, you don't want to talk about it. When they ask you questions or make fun of you, you just kind of, you know, you go and hide in a little corner or something like that, right? I don't know if you've been there. I know many people who have been there. I personally have been there in the past as well. You, you, you believe it. You have no trouble believing the miracles of the Bible. But when other people challenge you, you kind of run away because you have nothing to say. So I want to give you some opportunities to think about, can we have an educated and, and well-informed conversation with people, whether Christians or non-Christians, about why we believe in miracles and not be ashamed of the fact that we actually believe that the Bible is truth, that it actually is historically accurate, that it's actually um, telling us about events that actually did happen. So let's not be ashamed of our faith. Let's actually learn, if we haven't learned already, let's learn how to engage in conversations. Because I personally believe, and many Christians, that we believe that miracles are actually historically and scientifically plausible. Believing the supernatural miracles of the Bible doesn't mean that you don't appreciate science. That This is just a dichotomy that doesn't have to exist. But some people always go there. Hey, if you believe in miracles, you don't believe in science. And that means you're not relevant in this world. Well, no, that's not true. I know, and I'm sure as many of you, I know many scientists and doctors and astrophysicists and intellectually competent people who believe in the miracles of the Bible without renouncing the benefits of of science in our lives. So tons of my friends, tons of people that I work with, uh, tons of people that I, I've talked with about the Bible, about the miracles of the Bible, they believe in it and yet they're great doctors, they're great physicians, they're great, um, like they're scientists. 
and yet they have no problem believing in the miracles of the Bible. Why? Well, because the possibility of a miracle is actually historically and scientifically plausible. Now, if you're wondering how that is, I have these conversations all the time with my friends or other people who ask me about Christianity. Because I'm a pastor, I get quite a few of those questions. And, and I've had many conversations around this. In fact, very recently, I was talking to a person who didn't believe in, in God of the Bible. And he didn't believe um, that he, he thought the Bible had good teachings about morality and all that stuff. But he didn't believe that Peter walked on water, that Jesus was raised from the dead. He didn't believe in the miracles. So I, he asked me, like, Paul, you, you can't possibly believe that a person walked on water or that Jesus turned water into wine and all these other miracles in the Bible. You don't actually believe that. That's just silly. He was borderline ridiculing me and my intellect, intellect and all that stuff. So I was like, well, yeah, I actually do believe in those miracles. I, I personally believe that all of those things happened. And these were eyewitnesses uh, that wrote an account of it. So I said, well, that's just silly. Well, I said, okay, well, you know, I, I have two kids and, you know, I've had a child recently and, and both of my kids, I was in the room when, when Sarah was giving birth to these children, these beautiful children. And I found that those were super miraculous. And this person and many people, when I share this, they, they say, well, no, 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 Paul, that's not a miracle. That's biology. That's straight up biology. That's what happened there. That's not a miracle. You might say it's a miracle, but that's a sentimental statement. In fact, scientifically, that's biology. That's predictable. That's scientifically accurate. You know, a mom and a dad, they do their thing and then boom, pops out a baby, right? So they, they think that's biology. So I said, oh, okay. So you think that's really plausible that, you know, a, a couple would give birth to a child. So then I asked, well, then if, if that's biology, if that's scientific, then I want to ask you, what about the first birth then? You kind of said that you need a mom and a dad to make a baby happen. And um, so what about the first child? Right? Like, okay, so my mom and dad gave birth to me. And then, of course, their moms and dads. And then it just goes on and on and on and on. But what about the first mom and dad? So if it requires, if science requires that we have a mom and dad, then it requires that the first mom or dad or both must have come without a mom and dad, right? It's, it's a perpetual thing. It's an eternal thing. You cannot have a baby scientifically, biologically, without having the first mom, first dad, and therefore, where did they come from? And of course, many non-Christians actually think um, they have a good answer to this. They go, well, no, no, no. This is why they teach evolution. This is why they teach evolution. So I say, oh, okay. So you believe in the evolution theory. All right. Then, um, so do you believe that one day there were these apes of sorts? And then all of a sudden they slowly evolved and they became homo sapiens. They became humans. And then we evolved from there. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe in that. Okay, well, what about the first ape then? Who gave birth to the first ape? And as the conversation goes, you know, obviously I'm, I'm not trying to be on the attack or I'm not trying to be too argumentative, but 
if the person tries to poke holes at my thoughts and, and think that my thought processes and worldviews are silly, I try to share with them why I've come to this conclusion myself. Um, I, I believe I had an, an encounter with God. So there, at the existential level, I have faith in a God. Yes, I, I admit there is a faith element to this. But also I've processed the Bible and its claims and all of that too, intellectually, experientially, and all that. And I do believe that miracles are actually quite plausible and not only plausible, but probable because our very existence is living proof that miracles must exist at some level. Because I haven't met a single person who can give me a clear answer, a scientifically evident answer on the idea that then how did the baby come to be? Mom and dad, okay, cool. What about the first mom and dad? Evolution? Well, what about the first ape? As we consider these questions, we start to realize, I think, that it's difficult to prove our very own existence without the plausibility of a miracle, without the possibility that there might have been a miraculous component to at least us starting to exist here on Earth. I hope you're getting the philosophical and the worldview part of this. That when people start to make it silly and ridicule people who believe in miracles, um, oftentimes people don't think that through in a really in-depth way. And when we do think it through in a very deep level, um, it does become quite complicated. And actually, it becomes very hard to defend the side where it says, I don't believe miracles are possible at all, ever. Then it becomes really hard to start to build a theory on how did we come to be then? Our very origin story almost demands some sort of a miraculous intervention. Now, some people will say the Big Bang Theory, and I've heard that many times from Christians and non-Christians alike. And I'm not saying not the, the Big Bang is a silly theory. I'm not saying that. However, I'm saying even if it is the Big Bang through which God created this world, then out of the Big Bang, this, this crazy scientific... Um, theory and explanation of how humans came to be and how the earth came to have these perfect living conditions of air and oxygen environment and all of that. Let's say all of that came together with like a snap. That, that to me reminds me of the Marvel comics, Thanos just snapping his finger to destroy half the population of the universe. That's how miraculous that sounds to me. So whether you believe in the Big Bang and that's how God created the world, or whether you believe in some other theory, I think even in those uh, scientific explanations and those attempts, what we're trying to say is even those seem miraculous to me. It's actually more miraculous, or, or let me put it this way, it's more difficult and probably it's, it's less probable for there to be no miracle in the human existence and in this world because we are living proof that miracles must exist at some level because our science cannot produce us and it cannot explain us without a miracle. You see, science is, and I love science, again, Christians should not be anti-science. Science is an awesome and amazing way, a tool through which God has given us insight into his creation. Now, we're not always correct, right? I mean, sometimes in the past, we thought the, the, the earth was flat. We later discovered that it's not. 
right? Like we keep discovering more about the planets and the stars and the, everything else around us. We're still learning, right? Science is not complete, first of all. And secondly, science is not designed to see a miracle. That's not its job. As I said, science is a great tool for us to use to learn more about God's creation. It, it should cause us to be curious because God has created all these wonders. And the more we find out about it, the more it seems to deepen my faith and my confidence in the Bible. But science's job is not to see miracles. That's not the right tool for it. So when it comes across a miracle, it'll say things like the data is inconclusive and the jury is still out, right? Because Whenever you see a miracle like Jesus being raised from the dead, science cannot prove it. So it says the data is inconclusive and the jury is out. Science cannot disprove the possibility of a person being raised from the dead, right? Nor could it prove that Jesus came from the dead. So there, science will say the data is inconclusive, the jury is out. However, many people misunderstand science and they, they believe that science has proved that these miracles are not possible. Actually, no, science proves none of those things. That's not its job. See, the very nature of miracles means that science cannot see it. And I, I think this is what some people get caught up in. Like when I was preaching through the book of Jonah, um, I used this illustration about a man uh, named, I think, Michael Packard from Cape Cod, Massachusetts. He's a lobster diver. And, and when he went lobster diving earlier this year, he, he went down and then a humpback whale actually hit him. And then he tried to eat him and then realized, you know, I, I heard that whales don't eat humans, at least not normally. So... It was, he was in the mouth of this whale for about 30 seconds and then spat him out, realizing that he's not food. So it, it went viral. This, this man was on Jimmy Kimmel. He was on the news. He was on all over the social media and everything. And people said, oh, this is like Jonah from the Bible. And then a lot of Christians started to use that story and go like, see, look, it can happen. If it happened for 30 seconds, why not for three days and three nights? But here's what I'm trying to say. I don't think, even as Christians, I don't think it's even that much uh, more helpful, I guess, if, if Michael Packard became kind of a case study that, oh, scientifically, it was plausible that Jonah could have been in the mouth of a whale for th about three days and blah, blah. I, I mean, I think it's great if, if there are people researching those kind of things and possibilities. But I think even if there's no way to explain some of these miracles that we find in the Bible, it's actually not silly to believe in them. It's not foolish to believe that God can do things that are outside of our realm of understanding. By, by definition, if God is God, he transcends our intellectual ability to understand him and can perceive him fully. And I'm okay with that. In a philosophical level and a worldview level, it makes sense to me that God would be able to know me intimately in every aspect of me, and yet I would not be able to know him with the same detail because he transcends me. He is beyond me. He is above me. So 
if you ever did struggle with the miracles in the Bible, if you struggled to have conversations with non-Christians or even other Christians about the plausibility of miracles, I hope this gives you a little bit, a, a very small sample of how it's not silly to believe in the miracles of the Bible. You don't have to be ashamed of it. And if you are a Christian, you don't want to continue to treat the Bible as if it is just a good ethical textbook. The Bible, because it is so real, provides us so much real hope in this real world. And I pray that you'll be able to continue to delve into this and explore it further. There's so much literature. There's so many pastors and scholars who are much better than me at it, explaining this concept. And there are so many books available to you, so many podcasts available to you. I hope you do your own research. I hope you delve into this deeply. And I pray that God will give you confidence in his word, in his creation, and everything that he had done. May God bless you as you continue to explore his word, continue to lean in on him, and allow his spirit to reveal his truth to you. I pray that this would be your experience. Mm-hmm.